Well, it's my privilege this morning to welcome to uh, our church, the Morales family who need no introduction, and uh, Pastor Ricardo who needs no introduction, a friend, a brother. Um, this weekend has been a blessing for our family as they spent time with us. We have learned much from them, and uh, Ricardo continues uh, to teach me much this morning as we got ready and I was getting ready to drive him to church this morning, and I pressed on the ignition of the car and nothing happened for several times. Ricardo gently said, Mark, I, I think your battery is dead. So I continue to learn in every aspect of my life from Ricardo, from spiritual things, including how to take care of a vehicle. He has been a brother, a blessing, and I know he will be an encouragement to you this morning. We continue to uphold them in prayer as they wait to go to Columbia, and they're working together with Grace Missions International, and they're proceeding through all the details. There are a number of different things, including COVID and all of those different things that have slowed that process down. So you can remember them in prayer as we uh, support them and really support Christ, that the gospel will go out into all the nations of the world. So Ricardo, would you come and bring the word of the Lord to us this morning? Good morning to um, everyone. Today is uh, the day of the Lord, and we rejoice in uh, being able to be here. And while you open your Bibles in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, we are going to read uh, verses 1 to 16. And while you get there, I want to thank you, all of you as church for the way you have expressed your love for Christ, for His Word, for His Church, and how you have expressed that love uh, and care for you, for us as family. I think uh, last time that I was here um, and after I left, uh, Pastor Chin, just in passing, uh, made the comment that our car. Uh, someone broke and broke the glass of our car and some uh, belongings uh, were stolen from the car. And just the response of all of you as church was overwhelming. Thank you, thank you, thank you, because that meant a lot to us. Um, we did not expect that. I think what you gave us was more, more money than what the, the worth of the car Thank you. <laughs> so uh, we appreciate that. And, and, and with that gratitude and with that heart, I want to share um, God's word today. Um, my heart um, rejoices with you, and my heart uh, is really grateful for the love all of you have for Christ, for his word, for the church. And let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 1, I mean, for chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Okay? So I'm going to read, if you like to stand up in honor of, of the word, please, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we are going to read um, verses 1 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing, one, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is 
over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Please sit down. The Westminster Catechism was a document written by a number of Puritans, reformers, in the year 1648. 1646, 47, 48. And that is a long time ago. 370 years, I think, something like that. And that document was written with the purpose of teaching doctrine, theology, to the young people, to the children, and those who had just come to faith. And the first question that that document addresses is, what is the chief and highest end of man? And the response to that question is, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That was a long time ago that it was written. And with all that is going on in this world, all the trends, all the tendencies, all the growth in economics, in education, ways that the world has defined society. I think it is easy for us to forget what is our purpose in life and especially our purpose as believers. And I even want to ask you today, do you even have a purpose for your life? Some of us spend more than an hour to get ready to come to church today. Do we even think what was the purpose for us to come here today? I thought that my purpose was coming here to preach. But is that enough? 
Sometimes we are believing now that our purpose is to get higher education. Our purpose in life is to get a house. Our purpose is to, to allow our children to get the best education in this world. But I, I think that in this season of the world, during this time, this 2020 and now the beginning of 2021, this time has allowed us to stop, to pause, and to think, is there even a purpose in living this life? A lot of people have thought that there is no purpose. I think, if I'm not wrong, I heard a couple of months ago in the news that in Japan, there were more suicides. People died more because of suicide than because of COVID. People are losing hope in this world. And, and the question is, do we as believers have a purpose, a clear understanding of what God wants us to do? We should pause and think. And I want to share today my heart with you and share what is the purpose of, of, of life according to Scripture. We are celebrating 10 years as church. This February, we are celebrating 10 years. So in light of us being part of the church, as we look to 10 more years, upon what foundation are we, are we, are we going to continue establishing this church, our lives, so that at the end, as we are running a race, we get to the end and we get that prize. We accomplish the true purpose of our lives. I believe this text, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, give us three ways to accomplish this purpose. Three ways to accomplish the purpose for the life of every believer. Which we shouldn't depend on, on present circumstances, shouldn't depend on, on what is going on in this world, but they are all centered around the person of Jesus Christ. The first one is to exalt Christ in, the, in your world. The second one is to exalt Christ in your church. And the third one is to exalt Christ in your heart. So my prayer today is that you may learn that as believer, the Lord has provided for you three purposes for your life, three ways to articulate that main purpose of glorifying God, exalting Him, so that in the midst of any circumstance, you may live a meaningful life. But before we start going through the text, I want to make a couple of observations about the, the text that we just read. The first one is that this letter, as it's obvious, was written to the believers of Ephesus. In Ephesus, there were not mega churches. This church might have been a big church in the city of Ephesus at that time. That city had about 250,000 people. It was a prosperous city, maybe like New York, Los Angeles, London, San Francisco, there, there was the temple of Artemis, the Greek goddess of fertility, the patron and protector of young girls, the queen of heaven, the savior, the mother goddess. That building, the temp that temple, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The image of this uh, goddess Artemis was in the coins that circulated at that time. 
in the economy. There was located the largest bank in the world at that time. In that temple, there were religious prostitutes there all the time. There was, there was all kind of sinful practices in that place. It was the capital of paganism, witchcraft, and occult in the ancient world. Think of the Vatican, thousands of people going every single day. Think of the Carnival of Rio de Janeiro, where there was seen every single day. The pride parades that are becoming more often in, in, uh, take place more often in this world today. That is how the church was of Ephesus, well, that was the context of that church. And why this is important, this observation before we go into the text, because you know, scriptures were written for people who live in a real world. Scriptures were written for people who live in a real world. They were not just written for seminarians to sit down in a library and, and try to figure out the meaning of Greek or Hebrew words. Read other theologians. No. It was written so that we may experience a change, a transformation in our lives, and that we may live that change in a real world. We live in San Jose, all of us here, near San Francisco, a place where there is poverty, where there are a lot of people using drugs, where people love money more than anything else, where as you go around the city, you see hundreds if not thousands of gods Idolatry everywhere, education, jobs. Imagine, play, think of Ephesus right now, and imagine that your neighbor was a witch, a person who was in the occult, a person who handled the finances of that bank. What would you do as a believer facing persecution at that time? These words were written for those people so that they will live victorious lives in Christ. Second observation I want to make about this text is a one that is very familiar for, I think, all of us, is that this, um, this text we just read is in the second half of Ephesians. The first half of Ephesians deals with theology. The second one is practical living. The first one, the first half deals with how God sees us through Christ. The second half is about how the world should see us through and in Christ. How the world see Christ in us. The first half, in the first half, we are in the first half, we are reminded that we have been introduced in the heavenly places. The second half is how we should introduce those heavenly places in the world, in our kitchen, in our living room, in our world. Often, we enjoy getting knowledge about the scripture. We love the three, first three chapters. Oh, look all these blessings we have received. Look all this powerful theology. But you know, we need to gain all that knowledge about the heavenly places and bring those heavenly places 
to the earthly places in which the Lord has placed us today. It's not enough to have knowledge. We need to apply it. And that is important because today I'm talking about a personal relationship with Christ. I'm not giving you three steps to have a purposeful, successful, joyful, happy life. I'm talking about a personal relationship in which you can exalt the person of Jesus Christ. It is not enough to say that you know about God. It is important to know that you know God. That is why it's so important for us to understand that it's about a personal relationship. It's not just about knowledge that I'm talking today. It's about loving, living out what we know about Christ. And with that in mind, I want us to see, to start with the first, first point, to exalt Christ, I would say, Christ in your world. To exalt Christ in your world, verses 1 to 6. Paul starts saying, saying, I, therefore, a prisoner for or in the Lord, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. And I want you to think for a moment. Paul, a prisoner, where was he? In a jail. And somehow, today we can relate a tiny bit to him. Because we have been like a jail for the last year. We haven't been able to go out to places to enjoy the freedom we used to have. And I'm sure that all of us have been able to reflect in our past, in our present, and in our future. Wow, I still remember when I was able to do this. I remember when I, oh, look where we are. Look where we are. And now, wow, what will happen tomorrow? And Paul there in jail was able to think about his past, his present, and his future. And with that amazing knowledge, experiences he has, he speaks to us with that authority. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. And he says, Therefore, I, therefore. And, and why is that therefore? Therefore means in view of, as consequence of, of what? What he just have been talking about in the last three chapters. In view, as result, in light of what I just told you. I'm about to say something else. And what were those things that he just have told us? You know what he has told us? That we were blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That he chose us before him, before the, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That he predestined us for adoption. That he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He lavished upon us in all wisdom. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. In him we have obtained an inheritance. We have been predestined according to the purposes 
but the purpose of, of him who worked all things according to the counsel of his will, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in light of that, in view of that, because of that. He's about to tell us something. He's going to give us the purpose of our lives in light of all those things. And I want you to think. I want, I mean, I want, you, to th I want you to think today. Are you excited today because you have been purchased with his blood? Because you were dead and now you live? Because your sins were forgiven? It is so easy for us to get the weight of what is going on around the world and forget that we have so many blessings in Christ Jesus. That should give us joy. That should give us hope. That should make us jump every day out of our bed. So many blessings we have, regardless of what is going on in the world. That should establish the, the setting for us to live our lives in a way that is purposeful. Is that even the reason why you came today? Is that the reasons why you came or you live every single day? Is that how you live your life in your home? In light of that, we should be excited. We should be joyful. And then he says that because of all those things, he urged, he begged us, he pleaded us, he implored us to leave a call. And that is to articulate, to flush out, to live out Christianity. It's a call to conduct ourselves to practical living. It's not about just talking. It's not talking about just how the light works or a bulb functions. It's about providing heat, providing light to the world in which we live. And now he, he tells us, Paul tells us how we should leave that, that call. And notice that he doesn't say that we should leave that call by gaining more knowledge of theology or by attending church every Sunday or by accumulating years as believer. No, all those things are very important and are have to be there. We have to be faithful to the Lord. We have to get more knowledge about Christ, the scriptures. But he doesn't say that we should leave out that call just by gaining more knowledge. Notice what he says. By walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walking has the idea to comport, one's of one, to comport oneself, to behave, to live out, to conduct. And worthy in a manner is, is something corresponding to the necessity of the situation, according to the expectation. For example, a judge. A judge lives a life worthy to his, to his profession, to his duty, when he's a just person, when he's right. Imagine that the, the judge in a town were, were a drunkard, were uh, all day, all day, all day, every time, like breaking the laws, owing money to everyone in town. Maybe with five families in the in the in the city, five wives. 
with problems of bankruptcy and all these issues. How could he live a worthy life? He's not exemplifying. That is to live a worthy life, to live according to the call to which we have been called. So, the question is, what is the call? To what call we have been called? Right there in the context in Ephesians 1.18, you don't have to go there, I will read it for you. It says, Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the, in the saints? The hope to which he has called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the, in the saints? We have a call that is glorious, is eternal, is not of this world. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, We have been called to his own kingdom and glory. That is the call we have. It's a call to an eternal hope, to an eternal inheritance, to an eternal life. It's not to live an American dream. We don't, live, we don't need to live a life according to the call of the American dream. We have bought that. How sad. Our call is glorious. It's eternal. It's a hope that we look forward, that we expect every single morning of our lives. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. It is a call to be and to live out what we are. And what are we? We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for his own possession. I still remember when I got my, my citizenship here in the States. I was so happy. I'm an American. I'm an American. I'm an American. I'm sad. I was so happy. I got it. But sometimes we forget and we should live every single day of our lives with the hope of, I am, I am an eternal, a citizen of heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. That is my world. That is my, I got it. I got it. I have it. I have it. I'm not too much into social media, but that day I made sure my wife put it in Facebook. Ricardo is an American. That's how we should live our lives. With that purpose of, of, of living out what he has called us to be. With the purpose of Proclaiming his excellence. That is what he called us, has called us. To proclaim the excellence of him who called us out of darkness. Our purpose, our reason to live, the foundation of our lives is to live out this call. Is to announce, to proclaim, to exhibit, to, to, to show people, to exalt Christ in the world. And notice how ironic. Because this is a very, very high call. 
an eternal call, royal, chosen nation, high above. And notice the, notice the paradox. He's not telling us, Paul is not telling us that we can attain to that call by earning high, high goals in our lives, by great accomplishments. But he starts by saying that we attain that by what? By walking in all humility. What is that? Such a high call is attained by something as low as humility. What is humility? Humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance. It is a, an attitude born out of the heart. Humility is not what you wear in the, out, in the outside, in the exterior. Humility is in your heart. It's a low view of yourself despite all what you have in the outside. And just like any other virtue, humility has the notion of wholeness, of, entire, of entire, entirety, of completeness. Just like integrity. You cannot say, or I cannot say, oh, Pastor Chin, I'm really, really honest when it comes to issues in the church. Oh, you should see how good I am behaving myself in the church. But back home, I'm telling you, it's another world. It's really difficult. My wife, huh? No. Or in my job, being dishonest and in the church honest. If you have integrity, if you have honesty, that has to be in every aspect of your life. Otherwise, you are not. Same thing, humility. Humility is a low understanding of yourself everywhere. I cannot say that I'm humble in church, but I'm not humble in my home. If I'm not humble in my home, and I kick everyone there because I'm, I'm the head of the family. I'm not being humble. And God knows that. Humility is an attitude that has the notion of, of, of wholeness. And there are a couple of things I want to highlight about humility. The first one is, is so I always, when I hear or think the humility, about humility, I like this quote I read some time ago. Uh, about from, the, from a very well-known pastor at that time, Thomas Guthrie, a, a Scottish pastor and theologian who said this. Listen, all of us, listen, please. Just as the grandest edifice, the tallest towers, the loftiest pinnacles rest on deep foundations, also the very safety of the eminent gifts and preeminent graces given by Christ lies in their association with deep humility. Do you get it? Jesus, a big tower, needs a big foundation, large and deep, so the gifts the Lord has given us in order for us to live them out, to enjoy them, and so that those may not collapse, we need a deep foundation of humility. And sometimes we forget. And we start working more on, on the gifts, and we forget on, forget on building humility. And these couple of days, we have been talking with Pastor, Pastor Chin 
the different situations we all have gone. And even this last year has been a difficult year for us to what? De build, grow in humility. And the second thing I want to, to mention of humility is this, very, very important. Because I could talk for hours here about humility, you know? And sometimes we think that humility is what you do with your money. Oh, don't buy that car. Buy this one. It's more humble to own this one. You know, don't go to that place, to a restaurant. It's more humble to go to this other one. Is that right? Oh, when you go to see that person, oh, just make sure you are humble, you know, modest, you know, in everything you behave. You know, that is important, and that is an aspect of humility. But I want to talk about an aspect of humility that sometimes we forget. And you know which is that one? Allow me to read a couple of verses, and I will talk a little bit about that. Isaiah 66, 1 to says this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Do you know what this humility is talking about? About the person who truly, truly, truly depends on the Lord. And when you think about that, it's so sad, so sad that this society, the 20th, the 21st century, have removed us from that reality. It's sad to say, but in some ways, we don't need to depend on God. We don't have needs. We got our life insurance. We got our, our um, medical insurance. We got our paycheck every other week. Even for those during COVID-19, the government here, you check. How much are we depending on God? Telling God, please, please, please help me. Please, please. Please, if you don't help me, you, I die. Please, please, I cannot live on my own. Please, please help me. I'm struggling with sin. I cannot do it on my own. I need you. At the end of the day, that's through humility. Because that's the one that God really knows. The heart that comes and seeks God. The heart that truly, truly loves God. That is the kind of relationship we need to have with, with Christ before Him. It's a Christ, a heart that depends on Him. 
1 um, Corinthians 1, 9 says, God is faithful by whom we were called into his fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the kind of unity that he wants us to have, a fellowship with him. That is what brings true humility, to be associated with him, to have communion. He has called us to that, to fellowship. And we can only have that fellowship by having humility. A humility that only God can know. 1 Corinthians 8.3 says, If anyone loves God, he is known by God. Sometimes it's not so much to say or to think, Oh, I really want to know about God. I really want to know about God. I really want to know about God. No. What is important is to be known by God. To have fellowship with Him. To have communion with Him. And unfortunately, circumstances, when our heart breaks, when we realize how human we are, that is when we come to true humility and true dependency on God. So in that sense, I'm grateful for the last year, for COVID-19, and all that has happened. Because that should have allowed us, push us, to realize that we need to depend on Him. We need to depend on Christ. We need to have a close relationship, a close fellowship with Him. Trembling before His Word. Trembling before His Word. Seeking Him, depending on Him. Getting the daily bread. From him. We are more concerned about the daily bread that we eat in the store than the daily bread that comes from his word. So he's calling us to follow the example of Jesus Christ, Paul, to walk in humility. But he also, Paul, talks about gentleness and patience. And we learn gentleness for Jesus, from Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus said, said this, Learn from me that I am gentle and, again, humble. Where? In heart. He learned, learned from me. Sometimes we want to learn a lot about Christ. But are we willing to learn humility, gentleness from him? And something I wanted to say is, I want to bring it is that sometimes we also we think that humility is associated with culture. Sometimes, oh, you know, my culture, we are so humble, we are so humble, we are so humble. But maybe we are more proudful, proudful than those who we judge as cool and, oh, look how, look how proud those guys are. Maybe we need to examine our heart. We are being really... Humble. It also says in verse 2, with patience. Patience is tolerance to restrain yourself under provocation in your home, in the church, in your workplace. That is how we are called to live out this worthy high call in humility, in gentleness, patience. And I want you to think if you are living this kind of life in your home, in your family, 
in your workplace so that others may see Christ in you. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people, all people, it doesn't say, by this, the people in the church, in your church will know that you are my disciples. Uh-uh. It doesn't say, by this, Pastor Chin will know that you are my disciples. No, the world, everyone. If you have love for one another. It's again, it's not so much about, Jesus didn't say, by, by your high knowledge of theology and by your understanding of the Greek, they will know that you are my disciples. No, by loving one another, by living out what we know. Now, I want to make an important, kind of an important observation. In verses 3 to 6, Paul uses seven, seven different statements, expre expressions, to make the point of unity and consistency with the Father, with the Spirit, and with Christ, with His church, with this call, to be consistent with this call. And in verse 3, it says that we are, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are called to be eager, eager to maintain the unity of this call, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It says one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father. And this is the importance of us, just like I told you with humility and integrity, that we need oneness. We need wholeness in this call. We need to be consistent. We need to be consistent. That is a tough one, is that right? And it starts in your world. What is your world? Your wife. What is your world? Your children. What is your world? Your neighbors. What is your world? Your, your workplace. What is your world? The place where you go to do groceries, where they fix your car, that they may see something different in you. John 17, 21 says, that they may all be one, that they all may be one, consistent. It would be difficult to say that here we look like one because we all look different, but one in our heart, one in our purposes, one in our intentions. Listen what it says. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, they also may be in us. So that what? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Is that unity, that consistency, that wholeness in our way of living? Not in our theology necessarily, but yes, theology is key. But how are we living out that call? And that is what Paul is begging us. I beg you, I beg you, I beg you that there where this, there is so much witchcraft in Ephesus, where there is so much paganism, please, please, please live out your life according to the call to which you have been called in all humility, gentleness, patience, love. Let's be one so that people may know that Christ is the Lord and Savior of the world. 
So I hope that you are understanding that the purpose of your life should be to exalt Christ by conducting your life in the world, in your family, in your workplace, in a manner that is worthy of his call. Second point, exalt Christ in your church. And this is so important, so important. Because we need to be single-minded. I'm going to leave Christ in the world. I'm going to be the light that he talks in Matthew 5.16, that they may see the light, your works, your lifestyle, and they may worship your Father that is in heaven. But he also talks, Paul, in this text, about exalting Christ in your church. In Ephesians 4.7, it says, um, says like this, um, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. But God, God's grace was given. It's something that took already place. It doesn't say that will be given. It has been given to us. It says, it says, but God's grace went to each one of us. To each one of us. And you know, I did a Greek study on this word. Tracing it all the way to the Hebrew. Look at several lexicons. And you know what I learned the meaning of this? Each one of us is? All of us. Each one of us. <laughs> you, me. That's simple. All of us. All of us have received grace. Think how awesome that thought is. Sometimes we thought that we didn't have a gift. Sometimes we didn't think that we were, oh, someone in Christ or in the church. You know what? You are very special because you have received grace. You and me have received grace. I'm not more than you. You are not more than what I am. We all are the same in Christ because he has given each one of us, all of us. No one is missing grace. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the Son, the only Son from the fire, full of grace and truth, for from His fullness we have received grace upon grace. Generous grace all of us have. You might not be an apostle, you might not be a prophet, you might not be an evangelist, you might not be a shepherd, you might not be a teacher, but guess what? You have received grace. And how you have received that grace, according to this text? You know how you have received that grace? By receiving pastors, evangelists, apostles that establish the foundation of our faith, teachers that come and preach you every single Sunday here. So you have such an incredible gift, this church. I have been able to spend time with the elders of this church. And I just have seen their love for you as church. It just comes out. Actually, the only reason why I'm here is because they love you so much. The only reason why I'm here is that they are trying, trying to flush out their, their love for you. And they ask me to come and share my heart with you. Everything they do is thinking about you. That is God's grace upon you, God's love. And you know what this text tells us that had to happen for, for, for Christ to establish this leadership in this church, 
Christ left his glory and came, had to come to this earth. Christ had to become a man. And he had to be obedient. He had to suffer and die on a cross. That's what these verses 8 and 9 are saying. He had to come to die on a cross so that he could give you this grace, these gifts of pastors, elders. Aren't we privileged? He gave us these gifts for us to enjoy, to have purpose, to have a singleness in life. Verse 12 says that the, all these gifts and all what he had to go, go there in, in verses uh, 8, where I will read them for, for you. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does he mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth, and he had to come to die on a cross. So that you would have... So, you have, so that he would, he would give apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. To equip the saints. To equip you. For what? To acquire a house, to get a higher education, to get more blessings, to, re, to live a fulfilled life, prosperous? No. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the church, the church is where you accomplish that purpose of working for the ministry. For working for the ministry. The Lord has placed you in this church to fulfill your purpose for life. To work in the ministry. To be equipped. It's incredible how the elders want to help you. By establishing a weekly time called Cornerstone. In the evenings I will be sharing today. Please be tuned at 4 p.m. We'll be sharing our heart. To encourage you to grow. To be equipped in the faith. To have more opportunities of ministry. I don't know if you have seen, uh, I guess you have, you know, those, those, those guys, you know, that lift weights, you know, have you seen them? They are like this, you know. What for? Only to, to see themselves in the mirror. Have you seen it? <laughs> Sometimes we are like that. We read the Bible, we study, and we are like this, oh, 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 oh. You know, what for? Just to see how much you know. No, it should be to help others, to use those muscles, to carry people with needs. And my encouragement is, as you receive all these gifts, all this equipping in this church, as you submit to your leadership, as you love them, as you follow them, as you, as you build the church, work, you are equipped. Let's use that in our community. And this the church is so important, so important. This point of the church is like in the middle. Are you building your life upon a solid foundation? Do you have a purpose in life that you are equipping yourself for, eter for, for, a, for, a, for eternal aspects or just for what is earthly? 
I've been thinking a lot, examining my own life. What am I working for? Why am I establishing my foundation in my life? I don't want to sound funny, please. But I could die this week, next week out of COVID. Why not? Only God knows. As I look back in my life, oh, wow, I left a nice house, I left a nice car, I left everything. But so what for? Higher education, higher knowledge, promotions. Yes, those things are important, but shouldn't be your essence. Because as all shakes in this world, you are holding yourself from something that is eternal, higher. That is to be equipped to serve, to work in the ministry. So I just want to encourage you and think, are you living out with the purpose of exalting Christ in your world? Are you being conscious that you have something higher? I have thought about myself, about the day when I die. What will they say? Will they say, wow, Ricardo left five houses, three cars. You know, wow, he made sure his daughter got really good education. Those things are important. But what about my work, my service for the Lord? My testimony. To my, to how, 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 even if it was a little bit, how did I shine Christ to others? That would be what will count in eternity. My house will stay here if I, if I had one. <laughs> or if I had five, it is not important. Am I living to exalt Christ in the church? And the third one, exalt Christ in your heart. Verse 13, all these things have a purpose. You see, it's not in vain that you, you have a purpose in, in, your, in, in, in being a light in the world, but also in the, growing the church so that you can accomplish. It says, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness this verse gets personal. It's about you attaining a growth. This, this purpose in, of walking in a manner worthy of the call, and as we seek to exalt Christ in the, in the world and grow, be equipped in the church, is that you build your character, that you become more like Christ. When you can go out there and share Christ and say, wow, Pastor, Pastor Chin, Pastor Peter, Pastor Ted, they are making fun of me. They don't, I don't know how to share Christ. Could you help me? I don't know how to tell about Christ to my neighbors. I heard of this couple that they, they are divorcing. How can I help them? That allows you to start developing your knowledge, your character, your identity as a Christian. I'm struggling with sin. They cannot see Christ in me. So, you start growing the church and you start growing so that you may attain a stature, a maturity, the unity of the faith. Again, unity is talking about harmony, consistency, wholeness, and knowledge of the Son, of, of, of the, Son the, the, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the fullness of Christ. Does an ambassador looks like the country, that the people in the country 
that he's representing? Is that right? Would you, would you believe me if I tell you, oh, by the way, guys, um, before, I, before I came here to the States, I was the, the, the ambassador of Zimbabwe. How do you call that country? Zimbabwe? Zimbabwe? Oh, I'm like, wow. <laughs> no, it doesn't look like from Zimbabwe. <laughs> looks like a Colombian. <laughs> Are we living out that character, that personality, that likeness of Christ? Are we singling our lives to be lights in the world, to grow in the church so that we might be more like him? That is what we should be running for. Verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by the very wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes, by disappointment, by discouragement, by depression. By so what are we going to do now? What is going to happen? Conspiracy theories. Do you have the character of an adult or of a child? Do you have the maturity to examine yourself and see where you are in Christ? Do you know where you are in, in life? When I ask a child, my daughter, forgive me for using you as an example, Viviana Grace, she doesn't know what she wants to be in life. She, oh, today she wants this, maybe tomorrow she wants that. We will know. We will know. Do you know what you want in life? Do you know why you, why are you living your day after, uh, day after day to be? You have a purpose in life? Verse 15 and 16 says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, who is the head into Christ, from, the, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, when all of us are being part of this body, when all, all of us are single out, single in our purpose, makes the body grow so that it builds it, what? In love. And here it talks out, speaking the truth in love. Often we use this in counseling to go and confront people in love. But it goes beyond that. We might be able to use this verse for that case. But more than that is about us, what? Telling each other the truth in love. Encouraging each other. Brother, how are you doing with your, with your testimony out there? Brother, are you reaching out the community? Are you living, living Christ in your home? Are you coming to serve in the church? Are you being part of what the Lord is doing in Lighthouse Church in San Jose? Are you growing to the image of his son in your own life? The church is key. The church is in the middle of these three points. Holding, holding, bringing balance to your life. I want to close this, this um, time, this message, by reading 2 Timothy 4, 7, 8. It says, Paul is speaking, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all those who have loved his appearing. Those who have lived their lives 
with the single purpose of waiting for that appearing, for that high call, for that eternal hope, for that eternal place. And you know where Paul wrote these letters from? He wrote them, he wrote them from the prison. Again, he was in jail. But the difference is that this time he knew that literally in weeks, in weeks, maybe days, he was going to die. He was going to die. I've seen the, the image of the, of the cell where he was, and there was only basically one way out. That was to be decapitated or to go to be taken to the lions, you know, to the circus. And yet, as he was able to be there in that jail and think about his past, his present, his future, he has this hope so incredibly irremovable, so indestructible, that he thinks and he's so convinced that he's going to be crowned. But he died decapitated. And he knew he was going to be decapitated. And yet, even without having a head, he was going to be crowned. Because he was running a race with a purpose that was larger than this world. Bigger. And it made a whole difference in his life. That's why he could say this with joy. And today I see here a lot of young people. I see children. Parents, you have a big responsibility to encourage your children to run a race, not to acquire just higher education, not to just have properties in this world, but so that one day they may be crowned, that they may be the winners, that they may receive the prize of eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your powerful word which speaks to all and each one of us. Heavenly Father, we are about to take also communion. I pray, Lord, that you may help, you may help each one of us, all of us, to examine our hearts, Lord. Are we living a life with purpose? Do we even understand the purpose you have and you place us here in earth for? to be testimony to the world, to be love your church, to be more like you. Father, this is a beloved church. This message could not come from a heart of exhortation or harsh admonition. It comes out from love, Lord. I pray even that from humility, gentleness, kindness, Lord, for this beloved church. It's your church, Lord. Bless each one of us to help us understand that even in ministry we can get caught with our priorities, Lord. Help us to be lights in the world, to make sure we are building this church, being equipped here, and that we are growing in you, in your image, in your image, in Jesus Christ's name, amen.